and welcome to In Star Trek We Trust, the podcast that we do on a regular basis when there are new shows and other times, but not all the time, because sometimes we take a break. But this is not one of those times, because this is the time that we're doing the podcast. My name is Ethan, and it's my birthday, so I can do a weird intro if I want to. I'm your host. There's another guy here. What's his name? Uh, his name is Kevin. Is this? Oh yeah. Okay. He's so the other is, host. This is the intro. We'll go. Okay. Well. Uh, yep. Happy birthday. Thank you. You you gave you. me a gift of that amazing intro. Yeah. Yeah. We are discussing season two, episode three. We'll always have Tom Paris. It's a very very fun name. I was instantly. I found I was instantly like tickled by that name because of the TNG episode. We'll always have Paris. We'll always have Tom Paris. So I thought, yeah. great. That's a very low index title. Yes. We'll always have Paris. And my feelings about Tom Paris also. Yeah. Somebody you don't really <laughs> like very much. You don't like him. You know, he's a sleaze. And I don't know how you wound up with Bolana. You know, I'm sad. Well, you got to watch all of Voyager and find that shit out, man. He deserves, he deserves so much better. Yeah. But. Also, a bit of trivia, but it was actually not really trivia, but it was uh, widely announced on social media that this is the 800th episode of Star Trek. Wow. 800 episodes, but Memory Alpha, this is according to StarTrek.com, Memory Alpha has a slightly different count. Memory Alpha has a count of 804. Why? Because Memory Alpha's count refers to releases and thus differs. It includes the Cage and the 13 Trek films and also counts the 10 feature-length episodes as single episodes. Dot-com goes by, like, production oh. numbers. Okay. So. I agree with including the Cage. I, I don't agree with including the feature films. And I do agree... I don't agree with counting the two-parters as one. I agree with them counting as one if they aired as one episode. Because some of them did air as one episode. But they still had a credits at the end, right? For syndication purposes? They be, Some of them become two episodes when they get syndicated. Oh, okay. But, and then it becomes part one, part two. My feeling is that if, the, if it initially airs as a two-hour episode, like Dark Frontier did, like The Killing Game did, then... Like uh, most of the first episodes as well. So, I have to say though, I the fact that they're not using it as a marketing push or anything, I, I I'm sure they had a fine way to do it. Well, they've been doing it. They were just you know saying 800 episodes, great. But according to Memory Alpha, the 800 the 800th episode was actually the. I think it was the penultimate episode of season three of Discovery. Yeah, no, let's stick with this one. <laughs> um, but I, I... That's enough to say about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't understand counting the films. This doesn't make any it's sense. It's not an episode. It's not an episode. No, it's a film. And it's, you know... Yeah, because you could say, according to that, there are 804 films. Right, and that's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or right, like Star Wars, now there's like 
I don't know. I don't know. Seventy-five films or something. It's to me, it's it's semantics. It's eight hundred or a little bit more than it's just it's semantics. Yeah, still, it's a lot. I mean, and I always a lot of episodes. I always would refer to and say, you know, there are seven hundred and some odd episodes of Star Trek. Yeah, if I was talking about how it's such a massive franchise with so much uh, to watch, but now I'll have to say eight hundred and some odd. It's so interesting to me because when we were doing Star Trek Day a year ago. That's when it really occurred to me just how much Trek there really is. It was just something I never really thought about. And it kind of hit me when they were doing the panel with George Takei. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, George Takei was on the original series back in the 60s. And think about it from his perspective, seeing how much the franchise has grown just beyond his participation. That combined with me being on this Reddit thread where somebody was postulating like what show has the most spinoffs and i was like you know people were saying oh well in the family and then happy days and i was like no it's got to be it's got to be star trek you know especially now i mean maybe at a time before when we only had tng enterprise and that was that but now i mean and i had to stop and think because like i kind of lost count and i was like I think I arrived, when I did that, I think I arrived at 10. I wasn't counting Section 31. That would make it 11. No, I think I had arrived at, I think I had arrived at 10, and I'm like, that's got to be, I mean, that's got to be the most. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, and I, I think definitely in our lifetime, if we get as many new shows as they say we're going to be getting, it's not going to be long until we see the thousandth episode of Trek. So... Yeah, but with 10 episode seasons, that's still a ways away. Yeah. But yes, but we will probably see it. You know, you think about it, like if you release five shows a year, each with 10 that's episodes, fair. that's 50. So, and then yeah. don't forget, oh. Discovery does a little bit more. So, yeah, we'll we'll see it. We'll, in our lifetimes, we will see it unless somebody... Unless we meet an untimely end. Very true. Very true. But again, semantics. But uh, Yes. Not a bad episode this week. The show is slowly returning back to its pre-Boimler going to the Titan days. Did enjoy this episode, but I think at a high level for me, I don't think that the show yet... I'm, st- I'm not finding myself laughing yet this season as much as I did last season. Agreed. Yeah. I'm enjoying it, certainly. Same. And actually, on a side note, today when I was taking my notes, I was watching it um, with Julia. Julia even enjoyed it. And she sort of checked out somewhere around season two of Discovery on all the new stuff and hasn't yeah. checked back. So uh, it has that broad appeal. It really does. But let's get into this. So we've got three storylines going on this week. So the first is Boimler's back on the Cerritos. He's still finding trouble fitting in because the ship doesn't seem to recognize that he's back on board, so he can't seem to get things from the replicator. He can't go through doors or anything like that. The mm-hmm. other plot is, again, Shax is back to life somehow. And then we also get a girl's trip with Tendi and Mariner, which was my favorite plot of the uh, of the episode. But let's start and I took with... that main plot. I, th- I called that the A, a yeah. storyline. I feel that that was the primary agreed i mean i I was just going by the order in which the plots appeared so Mm -hmm. uh why don't we 
Why don't actually? Why don't we do that one first? Let's discuss the that one since that we could call that the a plot. So I really enjoyed this one because I think there was a meta feeling about it. I think there was some minor criticisms about last season that you they only seemed to stick Boimler and Mariner together and then Rutherford and Tendi together. You had like one exception. There was a time when Boimler and Tendi went to that planet together, but you didn't they never really switched the pairings around. So it was really nice to see at this time. And the characters seem to acknowledge that. They're like, like, yeah, we we never actually do anything together. It's like, we're ne- it's like we never do anything together. So it was good to see yeah, the two of them together. I thought it was very, very funny. And especially how it slowly emerged as they were talking that they don't know anything about each other. Right. Um, and yeah, it was interesting. It made me think of other Trek pairings that have never happened. Right, and so the idea being that Tendi has to go on this away mission for the Doctor to pick up some ancient artifact, familial artifact for her. For her. So she invites Mariner to go along, and then as, they, as they're together, obviously something happens, the relic that they get breaks, and now they're on this like mission to try to get the damn thing fixed. And out of that comes some really funny character moments between the two of them that I was really enjoying. Me too. And, and it all came, of course, from Mariner peer pressuring Tendi into letting loose a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And we, and you know, like any good story, right? Not only do we get to see two characters who we don't, who don't really know each other, like get to do something together, but we, the audience get to learn some stuff about these characters that we didn't know before. I mean, are we even surprised that Mariner was stationed on deep space nine at the same time Worf was? Right. So, Mariner was somewhere on DS9 between seasons four and seven. <laughs> right. And it, it, so it seemed to set up potential seeing of Deep Space Nine or someone from Deep Space Nine. Right. So that's interesting. Um, did we know that people referred to Deep Space Nine as a ship? No. It's not a ship. <laughs> right. I know, but they referred to it as a ship. Right. Said, of course there was a Deep Space Nine. I was on a lot of ships. That, well, that she has to bring her to Deep Space Nine. Uh-huh. Yeah. Still bugged me. But, so. And we get another Deep Space Nine reference later when we see Quarks. There was also an Odo, Odo reference as well. Because yeah, we, find uh, out, we find out Tendi's... Yeah, Tendi's full name, which Mariner didn't even know. And she's like, I thought you had like just one name, like Odo. <laughs> yep. That was so funny. I'm beginning to see... Deep Space Nine creep in more and more and more. The two of them go to a planet called Quaylor 2. Now, we've been to the Quaylor system before. There was the Quaylor Salvage Depot that was seen in Unifications 1 and 2. But where they were on Quaylor, we've never seen before. I was actually, I was oddly disappointed that that wasn't Free Cloud. I thought that was Free Cloud from the trailers. Yeah, I, I had the, uh, I thought it might be too. Yeah. So we, the other one that was, wasn't Quaylor 2, it was maybe another in the Quaylor system. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, again, I was I was oddly disappointed by that. I really thought that was going to be free, I really thought that was going to be free cloud. It certainly had the vibe. The casino yeah, plan. Most definitely. Most definitely. But yeah, I was. So, uh, so yeah. Quarks is a franchise. Is that what we're thinking? Well, Quarks is clearly a franchise because again, you know, we had one on. I mean, I knew it was a franchise the second we saw it on free cloud. I said, well, it's clearly a franchise now. So yeah, but that's in the, this is not as far in the future though. That's why I was a little concerned. It didn't make sense, given what we know about Quark and his business. 
you know? I actually thought it doesn't, did make sense, given what really? we know about Quark. Yeah, yeah. I can see that being one of the rules of acquisition. Franchise your business. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, that, that yeah, that wasn't a big surprise. I, I would like to maybe see Quark make an appearance at one of these franchises. I mean, I can definitely see Armin Shermerman making an appearance as Quark on Lower Decks. Oh, totally. He'd be a good so, character to have. Um, but... The other thing about this plot that I just found great was I loved... So at one point... Now, this is this whole journey they go on, it's almost like a I Love Lucy. It's almost like a Lucy and Ethel situation. Um, they break the artifacts. Now they have to struggle. Now they're struggling to get this thing repaired. So the first thing that, that takes them to is they wind up in a game of Domjot with the Nausicans, which... Of course, is a reference to the next gen episode tapestry. These are the one. These are the aliens that stabbed Picard in the heart, and it resulted in him getting an artificial heart. It was over a game of dumb job. Yeah, so apparently that's their thing. They just play this game and get into fights with humans. Forgive me, listeners, but human play dumb job. So <laughs> I just have to. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty funny. It was. Uh, and I, I got some good laughs in there. And then we get taken to, and so they fail at that. Then they get we get taken to uh, an Orion Depot. I really enjoyed the Orion. I Depot. really enjoyed this because I had to. And again, so many times in Trek we've seen they have to blend in, so they get some sort of surgical alteration to blend in with people. And I love that. And again, just like typical Trek, somebody has something that will change the pigment of your skin to easily yeah. make you blend in. So, it was great. Yep. I loved it. And they probably can replicate the clothing. Oh, easily. You know, all you got to do is say it into the replicator, and then you're done, right? But, yep. um, you know, there were some really great moments on that on that on that planet, and um, it's interesting to me that because I remember like I remember last season, Tendi had mentioned that the Orions hadn't been dealing in slaves for about five years, but they were still not a very welcoming species i actually thought that when we i was a little surprised when we saw them because i thought oh maybe they're just going to be you know a little bit more peaceful but no they haven't really they don't seem to have changed all that much so yeah it would kill her just for being a human yeah exactly yeah but yeah i mean i i i i loved the journey they took on that planet together and then obviously they don't end up getting this artifact fixed the thing gets broken even more and then we find out that it's not even for the artifact really at all. The doctor just wants the damn box because she's a cat and it's a cat, cat box. Yeah. yeah. That was a, that was a good cat joke. <laughs> it was, it was my first thought was like, okay, doc, just replicate a box, but right. Yeah. But maybe that family heir, heirloom box. Yeah. But it was all that great buildup to, a really, a really, really good punchline in the end, which of course also results in Mariner getting thrown in the brig once again. So yes, and a seemingly obvious punchline. Once you see it, it's sort of a duh. Of course, just wants the box. As soon as you said I just wanted the box, I was like, oh my god. And <laughs> yeah, um, I do have an Orion question. Go Did ahead. you get the impression that the Orions are a female? led society is that why she had she was humiliating and and 
berating her cousin? Um, I don't. I don't know. Actually, I. I mean, the first time we ever seen Orion in the franchise, it's a. It's a. It's a female. I don't think we see a male Orion really until Enterprise, unless I'm wrong there. Um, and the term like Orion slave girl has always was always sort of like known throughout the franchise for a long time. So right, I, well, de- I think I definitely right. thought that there was some like, yeah, that there was more emphasis on the female sex with the Orions, mm-hmm. but maybe that was just the way the, maybe that was just the way it was presented. I don't know. Yeah, that was definitely a surprise for me when she suddenly started to berate him and yeah it, it was a, it was a nice twist it was it was um it was interesting because here he is this jacked dude a bad boy as mariner yeah. calls him and uh she starts bossing him around and insulting him and he totally takes it and submits to her dominance over him so uh, and she said it's a orion thing so she's not really comfortable with it but it's an orion thing and that's how she's supposed to act so i thought that was a big deal to learn that about the Orions. I think what I what I loved about this plot the most is that it ended giving me the most satisfaction because it took two characters who didn't spend any time together, put them through a really funny, multiple multiple funny, multiple humorous situations, and then in the end they end up becoming friends, and it was a very satisfying conclusion. So. And it just reinforced my feeling that Lower Decks doesn't waste any time. It loves to just have fun with its characters and develop its characters. I mean, there's real growth with these characters now. And that plot was a really good, I think, representation of some really fun character development between between the two of them. I agree, especially particularly because Mariner, arguably the star of the show. Yeah. And yet, this away mission, uh, not really, but this, this trip, spent as much time on Tendi and her character, if not more, yeah. than Mariner, who's the quote-unquote star. Right. So, kudos. Well done, right? Yeah. Really, ex- we want to care about all the characters and know them. And we got to know her so much better. I think we picked up a lot of things. I really enjoyed her love of... Klingon acid punk. That's one of my notes. I need Klingon acid punk. I need more of that in my life. Yes, that was yeah. that was hilarious. It's perfect. And of course, they listen to, listen to music like that. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the most That's of the, the Klingon opera that we've heard in the past. We've mostly gotten Klingon opera. Yeah, yeah. So it makes more sense they listen to death metal or punk or. Yeah, I need some Klingon scream singing. It would be perfect, right? But it was a very, of extremely satisfying story with the two of them and i hope that this isn't the only time i hope this trend continues i would love to see them switch up the pairing a lot more i mean i think it would be fun to see mariner maybe do something with rutherford right we've seen tendy and boimler do at least one thing together but Mm -hmm. they can definitely do more stuff together i'm not just saying like just send them on an away mission and see what sort of trouble they get into but I think it's just going to be like finding all of these new and creative ways of sort of getting them paired off like that. So, yes, or this this relationship now will pay dividends yeah. in the story, or it's at I, least set something up. I think the show is very good at keeping. It amazes me like how good the show is at keeping 
its multiple plots in an episode very separated and very succinct and very beginning, middle, end. And they, they yeah. for like a 27-minute episode, they spend just enough time on each one to be able to cut in between all of them. And it ends up being wholly satisfying. In oh, end. yeah. I was wholly satisfied yeah, with all three of these stories. Yeah. And they really packed a lot in. And, um, you know, and sometimes the, the storylines interact and sometimes they don't as much like this one. But right. it, it, it always works. It is an impressive feat of writing that they're doing. I really believe that. Well, and they're doing it in a shorter span of time. I mean, think of it. They're doing this in a 30, just in a 30-minute episode. So, and that's what I mean when I say that Lower Decks has just done an excellent job really developing its characters because now, obviously, it's a smaller cast, right? But every week, every one of them has something to do. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, and it, it, it seems like each one of these storylines is written by somebody else, but then they get together and say, okay, where's the point where we just sort of can, like, at least have all the stories meet at one point, and then we'll just sort of go off and, you know, because, like, we have to start the stories maybe together, and then we'll branch off after that. And maybe yeah. just bring and them back all together. The, the consistency of character. Right. There was a little bit, in the, remember, in the first three episodes where we were a little bit. It didn't wasn't as good, but I mean that's the first three episodes. But since those after the first three episodes, I feel like characters have been very consistent. Yeah, and I'm never left wondering why are they doing that. It's really not something they would do. So yeah, really a well run show. So before we move on to the next plot, do you have anything more to say on this one? Um, no, that that covers it. Okay, so the other big plot for the week. Security Officer Shax is back, weirdly enough. And as a Lower Deck crew member would find out, they would just find out by seeing them in the mess hall, but wouldn't know, because they're not on the bridge crew, that they're actually back. Now, I, I have to, you know, full be fully honest here. When I found out that Shax was alive, I was a little disappointed. But I'm not... I'm going to abstain from going too far down this road because we don't know why he's alive yet, right? So I'm not going to be like, oh, you know, I don't think they should have done that. I think the the only reason why I feel that way is because I feel like it undermines what happened in the finale. Well, but wait, I have a question. You say we're not sure why he's back. Do you mean why within the reality of the show or why from the writing of the show? Why within the reality of the show? Okay. Yeah. I think we we, we we sort of got an answer on that, I feel. So, yeah, well, it's because when they introduced Kayshawn last week, I thought Kayshawn's going to replace him and we're going to have a different sort of humorous humorous dynamic here. So I was hoping that we would have gotten more of that. So He was still there, Kayshawn. He was still there, right. But, so, I I don't know. I mean, I, I think... Because I think it's this is clearly getting set because Shaq's told Rutherford something, and we don't really know what. So I think that and it's. Oh, you know what? What it says you, you die, right? And then you wake up on a dark mountain where you have to fight three 
faceless apparitions of your father, and then the last one surviving makes you eat your own heart. So this some sort of a mystical but uh, trial that you have to go through in order to come back to life. But which do you? I don't think I don't like it. I don't like that. I, well, the reason I say that is because. Shax, uh, uh, Rutherford wanted to know because Shax was saying, like, I don't know if I can, if, you know, we can tell you and, you know, if you're ready for this, I forget what, I'm paraphrasing, of course. And then when the Ensigns asked Rutherford why he was back, he sort of had that same sort of, like, sweaty reaction. And so while you may have just quoted that to me, I can't help but wonder, like, and this is questions being posed on social media by the official Trek account, too. Is this something that's going to be revisited? Are we gonna? Is this going to be a a uh, thread that's going to be returned to? Right? Is there is there more to this to this to be told? So that's why I'm sort of abstaining from going too far down the road as a critic on this. Um, I can just say that for now, I'm a little just a little disappointed that because again, just on the just on the notion that it feels like it undermined what happened with him in the end of the finale last season. So, mm. yeah. I don't I like when they say, undo those things. I don't like when they do stuff like that. I'm willing to critique it because yeah. I think it's... I don't like it at all. Yeah. I think the idea that it just sort of flies in the face of everything about Trek that we've known, that there would be this spiritual plane where yeah. these things happen, like that doesn't really add up. Well, and like, it, you know, and it doesn't happen as often as that show wants us to think it does. I mean, sure, Spock came back, right? But Tasha Yar, right. Tasha Yar stayed dead. She came back to life from an alternate reality, but then she went back to being dead again. Right. So, and even Spock came back. I mean, granted, uh, I don't want to say it's realistic, but yeah. even what we knew about Klingons and the Genesis device... It was yeah. sort of, uh, dare I say, scientific in a way. Yeah. I mean... Um, also, the time travel uh, with generations, I mean, if... All right, if time travel is a thing, then that opens up this whole other world for right. that. Right. Um, so those things also, as, you know, sci-fi as they are, yeah, they have a sci-fi science explanation. Whereas a dark mountain where you have personal apparitions of your father and then you have to fight them in a symbolic battle and then eat your own heart, that's that's spiritual. That's like a more of a yeah. religious thing. Yeah. Jadzia didn't come back. Jadzia did not come back. She stayed dead. Culber right. di died, I guess. And well, came maybe back. she lost the battle against her three father apparitions. Well, she's she's not she's a trill. She's not a uh, Bajoran. I assume that's a Bajoran thing that he's referring to. Maybe. Yeah. So, and, but maybe not because if you remember, he said to Rutherford, he wasn't only speaking for his own experience; he was speaking for all that die and come back. So the reason we don't tell you, we, meaning everybody, and they haven't all been of his yeah. persuasion, um, is because you can't... Um, so they're just explaining death. Dark truths of scientific depravity. Now, also, I'm going to go deep here, but he calls it scientific depravity. I don't think scientific about a 
spiritual plane where you battle apparitions of your father. This reminds me more of in Black Panther when he goes to the the plane where he sees his father and all that. It's very right. mystical and spiritual, and I don't like it. Well, and it's also so. This is the second week in a row where they've done the reset button. So, Bo- Boimler didn't die, but he was reset buttoned, right? He was cloned via the transporter, but he was and he was brought back to the Cerritos, and things were put back to normal. Jax died, died in quotes. He's back to life, and he's back on the Cerritos, and they reset button that. Number one, I don't like the reset button. I understand, but I also this is a this is where I'm going to get critical of Lower Decks doing it this way. I don't think it makes it okay, makes it more okay to do it if they turn it into a joke and by saying like, oh, it's just one of those tropes, and they sort of list out the tropes. To me, a, sure, it adds a f- you know humorous element to it, but a reset button is still a reset button, and by saying, well, the other Trek shows do it too, and he- here's where they do it. That doesn't make it more acceptable for me. I don't... Now, I know I said I want things to go back to normal in a way, and I do, but I think the way... I, I don't yet fully agree with the way they went They went about it. I see. My only concern, yeah, is the, very, is the specifics. Yeah. But I guess... I hate to say it, but it seems like in this sense... Perhaps Lower Decks is more of a conventional animated show than we expected. Yeah. In that, right, The Simpsons have been in the same grade since 1989. Right. Uh, South Park, they may have aged up a little bit on South Park, but South Park generally kind of resets a bit. No, things change on South Park. Uh, I assume Family Guy, I don't really watch it, but uh, pretty sure that things kind of stay the same on that show. So I think it's perhaps a trope of animation that things kind of go back and you just use that well, framework that you create for all of your stories. Because they seem to be very selective about what they want to move forward with and what they want to reset. They seem to do both. They just don't do it with everything. Oh, if you look, really, nothing has changed Yeah. since the first episode. No, it hasn't. I mean, you... Or it's changed, but it's come back. Well, see, and this is... I'm going to... If you don't mind for one moment, just jump ahead to my sort of final observations because mm-hmm. this specific plot plays a role in my final observations. So, um, I think because they, for some things, like killing off Jax, Shax, is it, is it Shax? It's Shax, right? I keep calling him Jax. Um, it's Shax, like killing off Shax, putting Boimler on the Cerritos, on the, uh, Titan and then bringing him back. I think because of these things, minor though they may be, combined with me saying I'm not finding the show as funny yet as I did last season, I think the show right now just feels slightly off to me. And I think it has to do with the events that we've just been seeing over the last three episodes of of moving our characters ahead or killing them off and then putting them back to the places where they were sort of without consequence. Yes. So I have trouble, like... I feel like if if Boimler crawling through the Jeffrey's tubes and everything he was doing this week 
I feel like I would have found that more funny last season than I do this season because I am still trying to figure out like I don't find myself rooting for Boimler in the same way because I don't know now I don't know what they're going to be doing with him because he got a taste of where he wanted to go now it's a case of like figuring out what the next thing is so like I think the events of the last three episodes have really sort of like clouded me just slightly on my enjoyment just a little bit but not it's not that I don't like the show it's just I I just feel a little I feel a little lost in the show right now I'm gonna say something that as a host of a podcast about this show feels like I shouldn't say it and this could be me it's it's probably just me but I think you're overthinking it. Probably am. Probably am. I feel like... I think two things will happen. I think one is that we had such high hopes for the show based on the first season. We sort of, I think, we created this other show in our heads where the characters were on a journey and they were going to go on an arc and all this. And maybe that's not the show. And so maybe it is just like you take what's in front of you and you don't think too hard about the picture stuff. No, I agree with you. I agree. And I I think when you think about, like, how much we love the first season, just how much we love the show in general, naturally, the hype and the expectations are going to be through the roof. Of course, for me, the question was, like, well, how are we going to get Boimler back on the Cerritos now that he's on the Titan? What are we doing there? Jack, the Shaxx thing was just out of left field. So um, maybe it's what you're saying combined with me just, like, not ending up being a huge fan of the way they did it but because the show is self-contained six episodes from now i may just forget about that anyway right yeah because i i think that it's just right it's it's right here and now yes yeah because what made me think that is when you said how him in the jeffrey's tube because when i saw him in the jeffrey's tube it wasn't influenced by anything else i just enjoyed the craziness of him in the jeffrey's tube and all the stuff that yeah i did too yeah I yeah, so it's it, like, yeah. yeah, don't try to, I, I think, look for the big things when they happen, mm-hmm. but maybe, yeah, I, I, I think I've taken the attitude of not ex- really expecting them. Right. And, you know, that says a lot about the way I watch things, and I think, um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to try. It, it, sometimes, sometimes I just can't help myself, so yeah. it's just the way that my obviously we're overthinking that's kind of the of whole course thing. of whole course podcast. but again you know that the ramifications of what has happened over the last three episodes i think i will eventually forget about it because again it goes back to if the show was story arc driven that might be different but because you're doing the episodic format yeah, there is some arc, there is some character arcs, of course, but like, as we get further and further away from that, I'm gonna forget about that. So it's not like it's something. That's, it's not gonna be like some storm cloud that's gonna hover over the show from here on out, right? I'm going to forget about it in a, in a couple weeks because I think the show right. is getting better week after week. So yeah, and yeah. particularly since it is, you know, it reminds us of anything more than others. It's next generation. Yes, and we had a very similar situation in the next gen. Yeah. Yes, yeah. when Picard was assimilated, it would come back up periodically, but, you know, 
it, it didn't really affect him that much. Right. If you, if you look at the percentage of time that it seemed to affect him, it just was the episode like after one, but then, and it would come up when the board were you know returned. But yeah, so um, in a way, it feels like I'm Boimler, right? Boimler's like a little lost, like you know, trying to find his place again, and maybe I'm trying to find my place as like a viewer now. Like, okay, now what am I? You know, yeah. What am I? What What is my north star in that in that sense? So yeah. Yes. Although. Now I'm going to take my turn to overthink it a little bit. <laughs> Certainly the fact that the ship doesn't recognize him could mean that he is the clone and some there is some bigger part to this. There is some bigger story to this that's going to play See, out. See, yes. Now, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm, I have to skip ahead to another final observation. Okay. okay. So I do find it, because this ties into the, to the Shaxx thing, I do find it interesting that Boimler was cloned with the transporter and Shax is back, who could have come back via the same... Well, you already kind of explained it, but... I don't have enough of a theory to go off of, but we just saw, like, that hallucination that Rutherford had trying to figure this out. And one of the Shax thing, Like, you see all these different versions of Shax. There's, like, a Neelix Shax. There's a Borg Shax. There's a Mirror Universe Shax. Now, again, I have practically nothing to go off of but i did wonder like we got a clone of boimler last week maybe a clone of shax this week i don't know you know are we potentially dealing with like an alternate reality is there a mirror universe thing going on i i i don't i don't know it's insane to even consider that i just find it interesting that both characters were kind of quote-unquote brought back in succession mm. like that. Yeah. So, um, the thing that leads me in this direction is I just remember when they first showed the two Boimlers. Yeah. I don't know. It just didn't seem to be any guarantee that that was the original Boimler. You know, they never really no. made any, well, they never made any, um, determination of which one was the original. The but it other, just everybody kind of agreed. The other Boimler did behave a little bit differently. Like he was, he was much, he was very cocky and stuff like that. But, right. um, but maybe our Boimler, the original Boimler, having gone through this experience and saved the day, was feeling a little, uh, you know, feeling his, um, uh, yeah, confidence like grow. I'm, I'm willing to sort of like, you know, stick a pin in that and then just sort of hold and see what what happens um yeah because then if that was a real boimler and he's there and he is advancing in his career he is getting used to the being with Riker. right maybe he is on an arc that we'll check back in on yeah and i mean at the same time even if that's not what happens it's still sort of like a well they had the thomas Riker thing now they've got the you know and they could just you could just even if they left it at that i'd be like okay well whatever there's two rikers now there's two boimlers but um I don't think that's the last we're going to see of the other Boimler. I don't think so either. Yeah. So, but I think the the Shaxx plot with, you know, I, I enjoy, because Rutherford has to like, is trying to science his way out of it and figure it out. He's very confused, especially because Rutherford was the one that Sha was saved by Shaxx at the end of last season. So he's got to figure it out and he kind of feels guilty for it as well. Um, I feel like there's more to be known with this 
um, particularly with Rutherford. And so, again, I'm willing to stick a pin in that one and then see where this goes. But um, this was probably my least favorite plot for this episode. I still liked it, but it was not my favorite plot of the episode. Yeah, I, I did. I, the thing that I mainly enjoyed is the fact that um, just the humor around him wanting to know but not being able to find out. Right. And the fact that someone else asked right before him and, and got reassigned because it was such an inappropriate thing to right. ask. Some, some, were, some were criticizing it because they didn't like that we don't know the reason. And it was like, well, they're lower decks. They wouldn't know the reason, right? But we, I, yeah, I'm really confused but I think, by it. Well, but I, I think it's because, you know what it is? I think it's because even though, yes, they are lower decks, we, the audience, do sometimes see what's going on on the bridge. So we are sort of informed of, as to what's going on. Mariner and uh, Boimler are on the bridge sometimes. and they were the, So sometimes they see what's going on. But right. I, I'm like, yes, but Rutherford is never on the bridge. Right? I if I wouldn't be surprised if Mariner and Boimler found out somehow. But Rutherford right. is never on the bridge. Right. I think Jordy was never on the bridge. Right. Right. So it makes it makes sense. I think that I think where that criticism from them comes in is that well sometimes we seem to be informed of these things that are going on. But that's sort of as the plot allows. But again, you got to remember which character you're dealing with here. Right. He's never on the bridge. The thing I find very strange is that we got the gist of what happened, I feel. Right. I mean, yes, he didn't finish the story, but I think we could all assume where the story was going. Hmm. About how he came back. Right. I don't think it was a big mystery. There no, was I a- think... I think spiritual more, battle that took place that he must have won. I do think there's more to find out. Maybe. Yeah, I still think there's more to find out, but... Perhaps. We were at least given a morsel as to what was going on. Yeah, Rutherford I mean, didn't I'm, get reassigned. I was definitely able to fill in the blanks. I didn't really need to hear the rest. I knew, you know, I know what's happening there. I think I'm just basing it off of Rutherford the last time we see him. He's just... Before the show ends, like he's just breaking out into a sweat. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think fighting I thought, three apparitions of your father and then one of them forces you to eat your own heart. I think that was going. I think that alone is pretty uh, hmm. terrifying. So you think it's? So yeah, I wasn't bothered by it. So you think you think that's that? You don't think there's anything else to find out? Well, sure, there could have been more, but I think it was equally like symbolic, right. spiritual stuff, or like eat your own heart and then you emerge from a. You know, I don't know. It do seems like. Th- yeah, do you think there is more we will find out? There. But actually, I have to revise something that I said. Yeah. So we, I, I mentioned how, well, that's is spiritual and that doesn't make a lot of sense for Star Trek. But you reminded me that he's Bajoran. And we know Bajoran spirituality is real because we've seen. Right. Uh, we've seen it. We saw what happened, you know, Klingons in Deep Space Nine at the end. Klingons so, have spirituality to them too. The afterlife, Stovacor, like we've seen that too. Right. Yeah. It's human. And we've, and we've seen the gods of the Bajorans, right? The prophets, yeah, we have. So yeah. that I revise it now. So so actually that whole Dark Mountain thing, if it is just Bajoran based, that could make a lot of sense because we've seen some crazy stuff happen with the Bajorans. Well and don't forget, um, 
Pike revealed in New Eden that his parents, one was spiritual, one was scientific. So he said, like, oh, you know, it was very interesting growing up in that house. And Pike had an awareness of at least religious history. I mean, he wasn't a spiritual person, but he had right. a, he had awareness of it and knew the sort of, like, knew the historical aspects of spirituality. So Right. Yeah. I wonder if his parents' generation was one of the last, of human anyway, to have, still have some religious connection. Well, or... didn't, um, didn't they say in that episode that, was it, Owo, who grew up in some sort of like commune that I don't remember the exact details, but I thought Owo had some sort of religious yes connection did. there as well. I don't recall what it was, but because um, she was that's why she was chosen specifically for that away mission. So there was yeah. some sort of spirituality aspect right. at play there with her character, yeah. But that would be, you know, I mean, as far as the show goes, that's closer to our time than anything else like their parents generation absolutely it makes sense that it would be dying out slowly perhaps then you know because i mean that i think it's a fair statement that star trek has an atheistic view of the universe or humans at least right so interesting to see the slow uh you know move away from religion with humans so the next plot the final plot we'll discuss is Boimler's fun little plot which really goes back to the episode title we'll always have Tom Paris because Tom Paris from Voyager comes on to the ship and he's on some tour just telling stories about the Delta Quadrant so <laughs> um, he doesn't really have a reason to be on the Cerritos, because we don't really see that aspect of it. He's just kind of there and provides the episode title. But in typical Boimler fashion, he is a Voyager fanboy. And like they did last season, where they turned TOS into a canonical term, they did the same thing with Voyager's production abbreviation, which is Voy, V-O-Y. But Boimler has hit... And Boimler, so Boimler has a collective Tom Paris plate, and given the fact that Tom Paris is going to be on board the ship, he wants to try to meet up with them and get it signed because he has it, He has them signed from all the other Voyager crewmen. So the struggle of this plot is Boimler now unable to get to the bridge because the Cerritos doesn't recognize him. And more than that, he is too proud to let anyone help him get there. Right. So he because can't, he could very easily just had someone hold the door for him. He but he wouldn't. He can't open the doors. He can't replicate anything. So Yes, but he episode, actively tells someone. They say, oh, let me help you. Let me get the doors. Like, no, I can do it myself. Right. And then he chooses rather to go through the Jeffrey's tube rather than let someone hold the door. So the remained, So the episode, his entire plot is him crawling through the Jeffrey's tubes to get to the bridge. Which I think I enjoyed more than I thought I would, just because of all the different things that he comes across in there. And I yeah. gotta say, I really do think his scream is very funny. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Actually, you know, Tendi's scream was great too in this episode. I, I do wonder, like, I'm saying to myself, like, is that really Jack Quaid doing that? I, I don't know, but I, I assume it is. Very, very uh, humorous scream. It's great. Yeah, it's great. Like, particularly like when the flames are about to come through and. Um, and he's saying, like, you know, emergency shutdown, you know, not authorized. Goes, he's like, but it's an emergency. Like, you should be able to. I don't need authorization for an emergency. <laughs> yes. So, um, and of course, like, he's in there and there are all the fumes and the plate is speaking to him. The part that really made me laugh, though, 
is when he actually manages to get out of there in frustration and Tom Paris thinks he's a Kazon and they get into this huge fight on the bridge because he did look like a Kazon. He had gotten zapped, so his hair was all up and crazy. Yes. He was all dirty. And I had to remind myself, so I looked up a picture of a Kazon and the Wikipedia or whatever entry yeah, for Kazon yeah. looked yeah. exactly like exactly. it. Exactly. And I, and I, and you know, that coupled with simultaneously, because I, I made a weird connection here, but, although it was probably unintentional, but while that's going on, the Mariner and Tendi plot is wrapping up and to come up with a reason as to why that artifact was smashed because it never got it fixed they set a collision course for the Cerritos so they try to make it look like oh they hit the ship and the thing got broken they just they just they just bounce off the shields which <laughs> yeah. I thought was really funny the and it was very funny because Tendi was all worked up like oh my god no 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 you have to stop and all they did was kind of it was like a, a, a very low speed fender bender the, but the reason I bring this up is because I, oddly enough there's an episode of Voyager called Maneuvers, and the Kazon set a collision course with Voyager and actually succeed. So it was just a weird kind of like, you know, there was a fight going on yeah. where Tom Paris thought he was a Kazon while there's a collision course, and the Kazon did penetrate Voyager via that, via that method. So, yeah. I just want to point yeah. that out. Yeah. The part I really loved is the fact that as he was attacked, he was trying to quickly tell Tom Paris how big of a fan he was and to show him the plate. Right. Yeah, and, it just seemed uh, to me that Tom Paris is now a full lieutenant. I mean, he was a lieutenant junior grade on Voyager, but now he's a, he, now he's a full uh, lieutenant now in Starfleet. So, um, yeah. He wasn't wearing right. a wedding ring, though. Uh, did he divorce Bellana? Doesn't have a wedding ring on. Or maybe that never happened because that was not a future that came to be, right? No, that was real. They got married at the beginning of season seven. Oh. Yeah. So okay. it could have been an error, but who knows? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Maybe they did get divorced. So, but you know. She's, she's too good for him. Did you. Tom Paris being there, take it or leave it? I mean, clearly he was just there for the joke, right? For the butt of the joke, which I guess is fine. But, um. Yeah, but I yeah. think it worked. It worked. I think so too. I mean, I can see if you have some celebrities in Starfleet for morale and whatnot, you might go around and... And we've seen it before. Yeah. I mean, uh, Mike McMahon yeah. has said that to expect more legacy characters to appear on the show this season. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But Garrett Wang, who played Harry Kim, had a really fun idea at the recent convention. He was saying that he thinks that... So th- th- there was there's a constant joke that Harry Kim was an ensign who just never got promoted because he never did on the mm. show. So, um, like, it seemed like, you know, other characters got promoted like Tuvok did and Paris got demoted and then re- promoted again back to his regular. So, but Harry Kim did not get any promotions at all. He was just an ensign the entire time. Um, so he made the suggestion that he Harry Kim should appear on Lower Decks still as an ensign, which <laughs> I think is a very delicious idea. That would be funny. Yeah. Now, speaking of funny, shall we move on to our funniest lines? We shall. So, you already said mine, which was, what was the deal with DePaul's hair for that one year? <laughs> yeah, see, I liked it because it was DePaul. I didn't think it was that the funniest. Yeah. But I'm glad that you did. Do you have any more? No, that was my only one. Okay. 
I've got a few. So, firstly, I really liked in the cold open when um, Mariner says, so what's up? We doing sci-fi stuff today? Yep. Um, that was good. We've got... I really liked what's so up when um, Tendi was discussing the Klingon acid punk, the... I guess he was a like a storage locker owner. Yep. He was saying how he saw that band and that they had an actual chorus of disgraced Klingons lamenting on stage. <laughs> yes. That was great. Um Oh, I really liked when um Ten- Tendi said to Mariner, "Oh, my cousin will kill you just for being human." And Mariner's response of well, I'm not into that. <laughs> yep. Good one, too. <laughs> very good response. And I don't know if anyone expected she would be, but it was very well delivered. Um, and then I really liked the very end when they tell Mariner she's going to the brig, and she said, send the bee to the brig. It's the bee's fault. Oh, right, because she blames the bee for the... Yes, the bee know, that from The space. excuse she gives is that there was a bee in the shuttlecraft, which caused her to set a collision course. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of like those stories you hear, like you know somebody, you know, getting into a major car accident because like they found a sp- like a spider was inside their car or something like that. Yeah, it would make a lot of sense. Yeah, but trying to swap as the spider. we know, there was no bee in there, so right. Yeah, I mean, but the idea of that is just ridiculous. Yeah, where would a bee <laughs> even come from in space? Well, yeah, my thought was, well, yeah. they were on a planet. They did leave from a planet. That's true too. That's true too. But um, maybe that planet doesn't have bees. For con- so I know I have this whole like continuity Easter egg section. As I said, they they seem to be coming at like breakneck speed. That it almost it's at, we're at the point now where like it's like almost too much to to list. So what mm-hmm. I'll do is I'll just point out some notable ones, but it doesn't mean that I, I didn't notice the rest of them. So obviously we talked about Quelo two. Quelo two's junkyard had been seen in Unification. We talked about Quark having a franchise on Quelo two. Mariner and Tendi again, you know, playing Domjot, which is a reference to Tapestry. I don't think I need to mention anything beyond uh, Boimler talking about when, uh, and, T- and uh, Mariner talking about when Tom Paris was a salamander. <laughs> there was a reference to a Nexus Christmas, which is a reference to Picard being sent to that Christmas scene while he was in the Nexus in uh, Generations. So um, I know a lot more, but those are just the ones that stood out to me the most. So. Yeah, but I would not put it past Lower Decks to make a reference to the episode Threshold when Tom Paris is there. So that's the Salamander reference. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I like that they, you know, the, the crazier things seem to be kind of left by the wayside, but I like that. Yeah. Right for the picking for Lower yeah. Decks. But, um, so I know I got into them a little bit throughout the episode, but my final observation, so I definitely need more Klingon Acid Punk in my life mm-hmm. um, and you know again just to reiterate I think the show can, has continued to have some really great character development especially with the pairing up of Mariner and Tendi um, I, I really enjoyed that meta moment between them which was clearly a response from some criticism of last season of not flipping you know switching up the pairings of the uh, characters so um, that was my favorite plot this episode and it just gave us some really good character development. I wouldn't say we necessarily got much from the other two characters, but that's okay. I mean, they'll get some character development I'm sure in the coming weeks. So, um, 
Yeah, it, I think an overall good episode. I think the I think the show is it's getting better by the week. So for me, so uh, I still at this point don't think it's as strong as last season, but that's you know that's a conversation to be had when the season comes to a close. So I can only sort of say because we're like practically a fourth of the way through the uh, the show now. Um, is that is my math right? Is that right? Fourth, third? I don't know. Uh, we're almost a third of the way through the season, so. Yes, I, I, I'm strange. I'm not laughing as much, but I'm enjoying the episodes just as much. Yeah. I think. And it, yeah. I enjoyed Boimler's storyline. I think. I don't know. I think yeah, we did get a little development on him. I was surprised that he was so stubborn as to not take the help. I think that was a yeah. character moment that was important. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it was just sort of more of the same and having fun with his sort of I think, fanning out. I think with, with Boimler, I want to see a little bit more of... Um, we've gotten, like, morsels of it, but I want to have more of a moment, a sort of, like... I want him to have a more, like, come-to-Jesus moment where he tries to figure out, like, well, my Titan stint didn't work, so now... Now what do I do? Right? Or... Because it... He didn't seem to have like that reflective moment. I don't think enough to try to figure yeah. out what's the At least next the crisis moment of what is my life now. If if that's not yeah, like we got that, but I felt like there was you know there's I feel like he needs to have that sort of like a life crisis. Yeah, Sorry. like realization, like that didn't work. Like, and again, this may go back to what we were talking about earlier. Like, it's if, with it just being an animated show, but. You know, he mentioned last season that the Titan was his dream job. It didn't work out. So where is the moment that he has where he sort of mentally comes to terms with that and tries to figure out what his next thing is? Yes, because so, that's got to be a big deal for a character. You yeah. spend your whole life working toward this goal, and then you get it, and then it's you don't want it. Right. So, certainly a big deal. Yeah, so... I, I predict we'll get an episode about I think we snack. will. Like, I'm not going to assume that we're not going to, but I, I would like to see... I would like to see a moment like that. Um, and maybe that's just something that just... You know, maybe that's just something that happens over time. Maybe, like, more stuff like what happened to him this week just continues to build up until he has some sort of, like, you know, quarter-life crisis, Right. So, I just, I, I think it's because, like, after all of that, I find it difficult to just put him back to where things were before, as if that didn't happen. Like, there needs to be some kind of, like, you know. Right, what's motivating that yeah. moment. Because even before, he, he was, everything he was doing was working toward his goal. Exactly. Of getting on the Titan. And yeah. now he doesn't have that motivator, so what's, what's his driving force in life? Yeah, so that's, that's what I want to see. Like, and it wasn't even so much like last season him working toward the Titan. Like, he mentioned that, I think, later in the season. But he was mm. clearly, like, he was still a green Starfleet officer and was, like, trying to, and loved doing everything. Like, he loved purging, you know, Icelandia yeah. chips and things like that. So, And he wanted um, promotion. It was all about getting promoted. Yeah, also. so I want him, I want them to, I'm hoping the show hones in on that a little bit more as the episodes go on. But um, 
So we're recording this on August 30th. We're a little bit behind. Um, I know we didn't get it out as quickly as possible because we had to go see Candyman. Um, yes, and I'm a teacher, and school started, and yep. that first week of school is always yep. a little a little overwhelming and yeah. jarring. No, we're also horror fans. We enjoyed Candyman quite a bit. Um, I did. But well. a week from tomorrow is Star Trek Day. Oh, so, wow. Week from yeah, tomorrow. it's a week from tomorrow. So, uh, oh. Did so we discuss on... this last week? I think. Did we know about it last week? I can't even recall if we discussed it on the last episode. But um, I don't think so. Yeah, so Star Trek Day is next week, the 8th. So uh, we'll probably be getting double podcast next week. So, uh, the thing is that there's going to be a Strange New Worlds panel finally. There is. I was thinking about this today, about how I think it's possible we could get a trailer for every single show. I think they'll I, do... We don't get a Strange New Worlds trailer, I'll be very surprised and very disappointed. I think we will. I just think it's a question of how much of a trailer do we get. Do we get like a teaser? Or do we get like a full-on like t- trailer, like getting a sense of what they're going to be doing over the you know that season? I, that's what I want to know. But I think it's got to be a full-on trailer. We need to get something. The show's long overdue to give us to give us something. So yeah. yeah. But I think Exciting. we'll get a trailer. I think for everything. We'll. I think like last last year, we'll get a trailer on Lower Decks for the second half of the season because that's what we'll be around that point. Um, I definitely think we're going to get something on Discovery again. Still don't think it's going to be the first live action show. Uh, I expect a lot from Prodigy because Prodigy I think is going to be the next show. So I think we'll get an actual trailer and a release date for the show. Picard, I'm sure we'll get something and. Strange New Worlds. I'm sure with Picard and Strange New Worlds, we'll get the broad sort of like, oh, 2022, but I don't think we'll get an exact date right. for it just yet. Picard has been very generous with trailers and tidbits. It so has. Hopefully I just, we'll keep that going. But that show to me, oddly enough, given what you just said, that show right now for me is the biggest question mark because I don't know if they're done filming yet. Usually the way we know another show is done filming is that some of the cast members will make some tweet or post on Instagram and say, we're done. Mm-hmm. I've not seen that with Picard. I don't. I mean, they could be done for all we know, and nobody has just said anything. But Discovery finished like two weeks ago. Strange New Worlds finished like a, almost a month ago. They're back next month doing a few more pickups. Uh, so we'll I probably get news on Picard. I'm sure this week. will all be cleared up next week. So, but I, I, I would not put it past them that we'll get a trailer for everything. Uh, we're gonna have to watch Will Wheaton again. I think so. Uh, I think so. But this time, it's actually live, live. Like it's actually being done someplace. Okay. I, I, so. I don't like his hosting. It's a personal thing. It's a personal gripe. Well, you also didn't like um, Jerry O'Connell. Oh, he's you the hated <laughs> Jerry O'Connell. Captain Picard. I'll take Will Wheaton over him. I, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't like most hosts. I don't like. Well, I liked the last. So last Star Trek Day was Levi Burton's daughter. My, um, what's her name? Oh Maya yes, that was she good. was good. She was good. Yeah. Yes, I don't like the ones that are going for like the dad jokes and the false enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah, but that's just me. Well, we're not there for the host, right? No, we're not there for them. Yeah. But Will Wheaton is always very, like over the top when it comes to all that stuff. Yes. Yeah. 
I'm sure it's genuine, maybe, but... But I think in all fairness, like, when they did the original After Trek with Discovery's first season, they had that guy from, uh... I forget his name. Oh, uh, oh yeah, from, um... From Nerdist. Nerdist Podcast. And they were trying to do, like, a, they were trying to mimic a more, like, w Talking Dead format. I couldn't... Yeah. St Matt Mira. I couldn't stand that guy. Yeah, I'll take Matt Mira over Will Wheaton or Daryl Connell. Anyway. And then... In Discovery's second season, they had uh, Naomi something. It was a Facebook Live thing. And she was clearly, like, not a Trek fan. And, like, everything she would ask... I'm serious. Like, every question she would ask was, what was it like doing X? <laughs> every single time. What was it like? What was it like? What was it like? So, um, Naomi Kyle, I think her name was. So, she was not... You know, I, I think what they were doing is they were trying to tap into... Because she's a really well-known, like game streamer and everything like that so i think oh. they were trying to tap into the twitch people to try to carry that but like yeah. you need somebody i'm sorry like for trek and just any franchise in general to be an effective host you need somebody with knowledge of the franchise yes right? that's why so, i think matt Meyer was good will wheaton makes sense i just think that he i don't his performance I wish he would tone it down like 25 percent. yeah like it makes sense when he does Picard because, like, he's with his old castmate. So I, I get that. Yes. But when he does, like, Lower Decks or Discovery, like, I just... It's because he's not attached to those shows. It's just... It's also just personal style. Today when I went to watch Lower Decks, for some reason one of his shows came up. And it just was his face really big. He goes, hey, nerds. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Control God. room. Control room. Yeah. I remember, we were talking, I remember we were talking about After Trek in the first season of Discovery, and I think when we were, like, nearing the end of that season, After Trek came up, because we didn't really talk about it that much, and I said, I said, do you watch it? Because like, I didn't even know, genuinely, if you had watched it. I go, do you watch that at all? And you were like, uh, I tried one. And that was all, <laughs> and that was all you said. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, I remember just laughing like hell after you said that. It was, like, it was like typical, like, the way you do it. Like, uh, I tried one. Yeah, well, as the young people would say, uh, it's very cringe. It is. It was very cringe. Yeah, it was. Uh, oddly enough, I don't even think those after tracks are available online anymore. Like, I don't even think you can you can watch them. As I said earlier, burn the tape. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get what they were going for. Because, there is no tape. Well, because like after shows are big now with these a lot of these shows, but they were really going after like that because it was like live and they had an audience. They were trying to do like the Talking Dead. Yeah. Format, when, which you don't have okay. to mimic that. Like, just do an after show, but you don't have to mimic the... Yeah, no, you don't need that. You can listen to this podcast. Obviously. Yeah. We're the after show. They should just put us on this stream right here. Yeah, but we don't have any guests. No. no. Um, but speaking of that, so we are also nearing... When we get there, we will obviously make a big deal out of it. We are nearing <laughs> our 100th podcast episode. Wow. Who knew? All those years ago. Yep. When we were little bebs. <laughs> when we were kids. Yeah. Spring yeah. chicken. I, I, I would very much want to play a clip. I think I'm going to do that. I'm gonna When we do that episode, I'm going to play clips live for you. Oh, I love it. Yeah. It'll be like uh, when TV shows get a clip show built into their contracts. They don't have to work. Yeah. This well, is going to be fun. My recollection really quick of that, and we'll discuss it more in detail, was that we started the podcast late. 
A little bit, yes. We, we had to catch like, up three episodes, I think. It, I think when we began, there had been four episodes aired. And I remember in, we actually had to do two ep- – we did two episodes in a row in one night at my place. I remember that. Yeah. That was intense. And we were exhausted after that. Yes. And we, we really had to catch up. We, were doing. we had to do it to catch up to where they were. We had to get it done by a certain date so we would be – so we could catch up. Yeah. Yep. And that's really what was the genesis of the show. Genesis. Was that um, – we were talking about the show a lot. Yeah. I think I mentioned like, hey, why don't we uh, do a podcast? I was pretty much just doing this, but we record it, right? Which you had mentioned really- it, I think, before the show began, but we didn't actually act on it until... Because I think we were like, well, let's see how the show is first. Because if it, we don't like it, then we're going to be stuck. So yeah. I think like four episodes and we were like, what about that podcast thing? Are we going to do that? And then we had to... Yeah, yeah. marathon sessions. Yeah. But... Um, more to come on that when we actually do our 100th episode. If people care about the uh, behind the scenes, um, you know. Yes. And we're in talks with Franklin Mint to get a commemorative plate for our 100th episode, but I don't know if they're going to bite. No, we'll just do that on, uh, you know, Wayfair or something like that. Just have them make a plate for us. Nice. Yeah. We'll do it. All right. Well, uh, I think that'll do it for this week. And we'll be back, well, next week, well, this week, but next week for the next episode, which will be episode four, which I don't have the name of, so. Otherwise known as episode 801 of Star Trek. Or 805, according to Memory Alpha. Depending if you think movies are TV shows. Yeah, very true. All right. Peace out, everybody. Later, skaters. Later, skaters.